Section 4 of The Good Dog Book This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by R. W. Raptor A Dog of Flanders, Part 2 By Weeder 4. There was only one other beside Patrish to whom Nello could talk at all of his daring fantasies. This other was little Alois, who lived at the old red mill on the grassy mound, and whose father, the miller, was the best-to-do husbandman in all the village. Little Alois was only a pretty baby, with soft, round, rosy features, made lovely by those sweet, dark eyes that the Spanish rule has left in so many a Flemish face. In testimony of the elven dominion, as Spanish art has left broadstone throughout the country, majestic palaces and stately courts, gilded house-fronts and sculptured lintels, histories in blazonry and poems in stone. Little Alwa was often with Nello and Patrish. They played in the fields, they ran in the snow. They gathered the daisies and bilberries. They went up to the old grey church together, and they often sat together by the broad wood-fire in the mill-house. Little Alwa, indeed, was the richest child in the hamlet. She had neither brother nor sister. Her blue serge dress had never a hole in it. At Kermesse she had as many gilded nuts, an agni day in sugar as her hands could hold. And when she went up for her first communion, her flaxen curls were covered with a cap of riches, meshel and lace, which had been her mother's and her grandmother's before it came to her. Men spoke already, though she had but twelve years of the good wife she would be for their sons to woo and win. But she herself was a little gay, simple child, in no wise conscious of her heritage, and she loved no playfellows so well as Yehandar's grandson and his dog. One day her father, Baz Cogez, a good man, but somewhat stern, came on a pretty group in the long meadow behind the mill, where the aftermath had that day been cut. It was his little daughter sitting amidst the hay, with the great tawny head of Patrish on her lap, and many wreaths of poppies and blue cornflowers round them both. On a clean, smooth slab of pine wood, the boy Nello drew their likeness with a stick of charcoal. The miller stood and looked at the portrait with tears in his eyes. It was so strangely like, and he loved his only child closely and well. Then he roughly chid the little girl for idling there whilst her mother needed her within, and sent her indoors crying and afraid. Then, turning, he snatched the wood from Nello's hand. "'Dost do much of such folly?' he asked, but there was a tremble in his voice. Nello coloured and hung his head. "'I draw everything I see,' he murmured. The miller was silent. Then he stretched his hand out with a frank in it. It is folly, as I say, an evil waste of time. Nevertheless, it is like Alois, and will please the house-mother. Take this silver bit for it, and leave it for me. The colour died out of the face of the young Ardenois. He lifted his head and put his hands behind his back. Keep your money, and the portrait both, Bascoques, he said simply. You have been often good to me. Then he called Patrish to him and walked away across the fields. "'I could have seen them with that, Frank,' he murmured to Patrish. 
But I could not sell her picture, not even for them. Baz Cogares went into his mill-house, sore troubled in his mind. That lad must not be so much with Alois, he said to his wife that night. Trouble may come of it hereafter. He is fifteen now, and she is twelve, and the boy is comely of face and form. And he is a good lad and a loyal, said the housewife, feasting her eyes on the piece of pine wood where it was throned above the chimney, with a cooker clock in oak and a calvary in wax. Yea, I do not gainsay that, said the miller, draining his pewter flagon. Then, if what you think of were ever to come to pass, said the wife hesitatingly, would it matter so much? She will have enough for both, and one cannot be better than happy. You are a woman, and therefore a fool, said the miller harshly, striking his pipe on the table. The lad is naught but a beggar and with those painters' fancies, worse than a beggar. Have a care that they are not together in the future, or I will send the child to the surer keeping of the nuns of the Sacred Heart. The poor mother was terrified, and promised humbly to do his will. Not that she could bring herself altogether to separate the child from her favourite playmate. Nor did the miller even desire that extreme of cruelty to a young lad who was guilty of nothing except poverty. But there were many ways in which little Alois was kept away from her chosen companion. And Nello, being a boy proud and quiet and sensitive, was quickly wounded, and ceased to turn his own steps and those of Patrash, as he had been used to do with every moment of leisure, to the old red mill upon the slope. What his offence was he did not know. He supposed he had in some manner angered Bascogues by taking the portrait of Alois in the meadow, and when the child who loved him would run to him and nestle her hand in his, he would smile at her very sadly and say with a tender concern for her before himself, Nay, Alois, do not anger your father. He thinks that I make you idle, dear, and he is not pleased that you should be with me. He is a good man and loves you well. We will not anger him, Alois. But it was with a sad heart that he said it, and the earth did not look so bright to him as it had used to when he went out at sunrise under the poplars down the straight roads with Petrush. The old red mill had been a landmark to him, and he had been used to pause by it, going and coming, for a cheery greeting with its people as her little flaxen head rose above the low mill wicket, and her little rosy hands had held out a bone or a crust to Petrush. Now the dog looked wistfully at a closed door, and the boy went on without pausing, with a pang at his heart, and the child sat within with tears dropping slowly on the knitting to which she was set on her little stool by the stove, and Baz Cogez, working among his sacks and his mill gear, would harden his will and say to himself, It is best so, the lad is all but a beggar, and full of idle, dreaming fooleries. Who knows what mischief might not come of it in the future? So he was wise in his generation, and would not have the door unbarred, except upon rare and formal occasions, which seemed to have neither warmth nor mirth in them to the two children, who had been accustomed so long to a daily gleeful, careless, happy interchange of greeting, speech and pastime, with no other watcher of their sports or auditor of their fancies than Patrash, 
sagely shaking the brazen bells of his collar, and responding with all a dog's swift sympathies to their every change of mood. All this while the little panel of pinewood remained over the chimney in the mill kitchen, with the cuckoo clock and the waxen calvary, and sometimes it seemed to Nello a little hard that whilst his gift was accepted, he himself should be denied. But he did not complain. It was his habit to be quiet. Old Yehan Das had said ever to him, We are poor. We must take what God sends. The ill with the good. The poor cannot choose. To which the boy had always listened in silence, being reverent of his old grandfather, but nevertheless a certain vague, sweet hope, such as beguiles the children of genius, had whispered in his heart. Yet the poor do choose sometimes, choose to be great, so that men cannot say them nay. And he thought so still in his innocence, and one day, when the little Alois, finding him by chance alone amongst the cornfields by the canal, ran to him and held him close and sobbed piteously because the morrow would be her saint's day, and for the first time in all her life her parents had failed to bid him to the little supper and romp in the great barns with which her feast day was always celebrated. Nello had kissed her and murmured to her in firm faith, It shall be different one day, Alois. One day that little bit of pine wood that your father has of mine shall be worth its weight in silver, and he will not shut the door against me then. Only love me always, dear little Alois, only love me always, and I will be great. And if I do not love you? the pretty child asked, pouting a little through her tears, and moved by the instinctive coquetries of her sex. Nello's eyes left her face and wandered to the distance, where in the red and gold of the Flemish night the cathedral spire rose. There was a smile on his face so sweet and yet so sad that little Alois was awed by it. I will be great still, he said under his breath. Great still or die, Alois. You do not love me, said the little sport child, pushing him away. But the boy shook his head and smiled and went on his way through the tall yellow corn seeing as in a vision some day in a fair future, when he should come into that old familiar land and ask Alois of her people, be not refused or denied, but received in honour, whilst the village folk should throng to look upon him and say in one another's ears, Dost see him? He is a king among men, for he is a great artist, and the world speaks his name, and yet he was only our poor little Nello, who was a beggar, as one may say and only got his bread by the help of his dog. And he thought how he would fold his grandsire in furs and purples, and portray him as the old man is portrayed in the family in the chapel of Saint-Jacques, and of how he would hang the throat of Patrache with a collar of gold, and place him on his right hand and say to the people, This was once my only friend, and of how he would build himself a great white marble palace, and make to himself luxurious gardens of pleasure, on the slope looking outward to where the cathedral spire rose, and not dwell in it himself, but summon to it, as to a home, all men, young and poor and friendless, but of the will to do mighty things, and of how he would say to them always, if they sought to bless his name, Nay, do not thank me, 
thank Rubens. Without him, what should I have been? And these dreams beautiful, impossible, innocent, free of all selfishness, full of heroical worship, were so closely about him as he went that he was happy. Happy even on this sad anniversary of Alois Saint's Day, when he and Patrish went home by themselves, to the little dark hut and the meal of black bread, whilst in the mill-house all the children of the village sang and laughed, and ate the big round cakes of Dijon, and the almond gingerbread of Brabant, and danced in the great barn to the light of the stars, and the music of flute and fiddle. Never mind, Patrish, he said, with his arm round the dog's neck as they both sat in the door of the hut, where the sounds of mirth at the mill came down to them on the night air. Never mind, it shall all be changed by and by. He believed in the future. Patrash, of more experience and of more philosophy, thought that the loss of the mill supper in the present was ill-compensated by dreams of milk and honey in some vague hereafter. And Patrish growled whenever he passed by Bas Cogiers. This is Alois name day, is it not? said the old man Das that night from the corner where he was stretched upon his bed of sacking. The boy gave a gesture of assent. He wished that the old man's memory had erred a little, instead of keeping such sure account. And why not there? his grandfather pursued. Das has never missed a year before, Nello. Thou art too sick to leave murmured the lad, bending his handsome young head over the bed. Tut, tut! Mother Nalette would have come and sat with me, as she does scores of times. What is the cause, Nello? the old man persisted. Thou surely hast not had ill words with the little one. Nay, grandfather, never, said the boy quickly, with a hot colour in his bent face. Simply and truly, Bascoges did not have me ask this year. He has taken some whim against me. But thou hast done nothing wrong. That I know nothing. I took the portrait of Alois on a piece of pine. That is all. Ah, the old man was silent. The truth suggested itself to him with the boy's innocent answer. He was tied to a bed of dried leaves in the corner of a wattle hut, but he had not wholly forgotten what the ways of the world were like. He drew Nello's fair head fondly to his breast with a tenderer gesture. Thou art very poor, my child, he said with a quiver, the more in his age trembling voice. So poor! It is very hard for thee. Nay, I am rich murmured Nello, and in his innocence he thought so, rich with the imperishable powers that are mightier than the might of kings. And he went and stood by the door of the hut in the quiet autumn night, and watched the stars troop by and the tall poplars bend and shiver in the wind. All the casements of the mill-house were lighted, and every now and then the notes of the flute came to him, the tears fell down his cheeks, for he was but a child. Yet he smiled, for he said to himself, In the future!
He stayed there until all was quiet, still, and dark. Then he and Patrish went within and slept together long and deeply, side by side. 5. Now he had a secret which only Patrash knew. There was a little outhouse to the hut, which no one entered but himself. A dreary place, but with abundant clear light from the north. Here he had fashioned himself rudely an easel in rough lumber, and here on a great grey sea of stretched paper he had given shape to one of the innumerable fancies which possessed his brain. No one had ever taught him anything, colours he had no means to buy. He had gone without bread many a time to procure even the few rude vehicles that he had here, and it was only in black or white that he could fashion the things he saw. This great figure which he had drawn here in chalk was only an old man sitting on a fallen tree. Only that. He had seen old Michael, the woodman sitting so at evening many a time. He had never had a soul to tell him of outline or perspective, of anatomy or of shadow, and yet he had given all the weary, worn-out age, all the sad, quiet patience, or the rugged, careworn pathos of his original, and given them so that the old lonely figure was a poem sitting there, meditative and alone on the dead tree, with the darkness of the descending night behind him. It was rude, of course, in a way, and had many faults, no doubt, and yet it was real, true in nature, true in art, and very mournful and in a manner beautiful. Patresh had lain quiet countless hours watching its gradual creation after the labour of each day was done, and he knew that Nello had a hope, vain and wild perhaps, but strongly cherished, of sending this great drawing to compete for a prize of two hundred francs a year, which it was announced in Antwerp would be open to every lad of talent scholar or peasant, under eighteen, who would attempt to win it with some unaided work of chalk or pencil. Three of the foremost artists in the town of Rubens were to be the judges, and elect the victor according to his merits. All the spring and summer and autumn Nello had been at work upon this treasure, which, if triumphant, would build him his first step toward independence and the mysteries of the art which he blindly ignorantly and yet passionately adored. He said nothing to anyone. His grandfather would not have understood, and little Alois was lost to him. Only to Patrice she told all, and he whispered, Rubens would give it to me, I think, if he knew. Patrice thought so too, for he knew that Rubens had loved dogs, or he had never painted them with such exquisite fidelity. And men who loved dogs were, as Patrash knew, always pitiful. The drawings were to go in on the first day of December, and the decision to be given on the 24th, so that he who would win might rejoice with all his people at the Christmas season. In the twilight of a bitter wintry day, and with a beating heart now quick with hope, now faint with fear. Nello placed the great pitcher on his little green milk cart and took it, with the help of Patrish, 
into the town and there left it as enjoined at the doors of a public building perhaps it is worth nothing at all how can i tell he thought with the heart-sickness of a great timidity now that he had left it there it seemed to him so hazardous so vain so foolish to dream that he a little lad with bare feet who barely knew his letters could do anything at which great painters real artists could ever deign to look yet he took heart as he went by the cathedral the lordly form of reuben seemed to rise from the fog and the darkness and to loom in its magnificence before him whilst the lips with their kindly smile seemed to him to murmur nay have courage it was not by a weak heart and by faint fears that i wrote my name for all time upon antwerp nello ran home through the cold night comforted he had done his best the rest must be as god willed he thought in that innocent unquestioning faith which had been taught him in the little grey chapel amongst the willows and poplar trees the winter was very sharp already that night after they had reached the hut snow fell and fell for very many days after that so that the paths and the divisions in the fields were all obliterated and all the smaller streams were frozen over and the cold was intense upon the plains then indeed it became hard work to go round for the milk while the world was all dark and carry it through the darkness to the silent town hard work especially for patrish for the passage of the years that were only bringing nello a stronger youth were bringing him old age and his joints were stiff and his bones ached often but he would never give up his share of the labour nello would fain have spared him and drawn the cart himself but patrish would not allow it all he would ever permit or accept was the help of a thrust from behind to the truck as it lumbered along with the ice ruts Patrash had lived in harness, and he was proud of it. He suffered a great deal, sometimes from frost and the terrible roads and the rheumatic pains of his limbs. But he only drew his breath hard and bent his stout neck and trod onward with steady patience. Rest thee at home, Patrash. It is time thou didst rest, and I can quite well push in the cart by myself, urged Nello many a morning. But Patrush, who understood him all right, would not have been more consented to stay at home than a veteran soldier to shirk when the charge was sounding, and every day he would rise and place himself in his shafts, and plod along over the snow through the fields that his four round feet had left their print upon so many, many years. One must never rest till one dies, thought Patrush and sometimes it seemed to him that the time of rest for him was not very far off. His sight was less clear than it had been, and it gave him pain to rise after the night's sleep, though he would never lie a moment in his straw when once the bell of the chapel tolling five let him know that the daybreak of labour had begun. My poor Patrush, we shall soon lie quiet together, you and I, said old Yahendas stretching out to stroke the head of Patrush with the old withered hand which had always shared with him its one poor crust of bread. And the hearts of the old man and the old dog ached together with one thought. When they were gone, 
who would care for their darling. 6. One afternoon, as they came back from Antwerp over the snow, which had become hard and smooth as marble over all the Flemish plains, they found dropped in the road a pretty little puppet, a tambourine player, all scarlet and gold, about six inches high, and unlike greater personages, when fortune lets them drop, quite unspoiled and unhurt by its fall, was a pretty toy. Nello tried to find its owner, and failing, thought that it was just the thing to please Alois. It was quite night when he passed the mill-house. He knew the little window of her room. It could be no harm, he thought, if he gave her his little piece of treasure trove. They had been playfellows so long. There was a shed with a sloping roof beneath her casement. He climbed it and tapped softly at the lattice. There was a light within. The child opened it and looked out, half frightened. Nello put the tambourine player into her hands. Here is a doll I found in the snow, Alois. Take it, and God bless thee, dear. He slid down from the shed roof before she had time to thank him, and ran off through the darkness. That night there was a fire at the mill. Outbuildings and much corn were destroyed, although the mill itself and the dwelling house were unharmed. All the village was out in terror, and engines came tearing through the snow from Antwerp. The miller was insured and would lose nothing. Nevertheless, he was in furious wrath, and declared aloud that the fire was due to no accident but some foul intent. Nello, awakened from his sleep, ran to help with the rest. Baz Cogez thrust him angrily aside. "'Thou wert loitering here after dark,' he said roughly. "'I believe on my soul that thou dost know more of the fire than any one.' Nello heard him in silence, stupefied, not supposing that anyone could say such things except in jest, and not comprehending how anyone could pass a jest at such a time. Nevertheless, the miller said the brutal thing openly to many of his neighbours in the day that followed, and though no serious charge was ever preferred against the lad, he got bruited about that Nello had been seen in the mill-yard after dark on some unspoken errand and that he bore Bascog as a grudge for forbidding his intercourse with little Alois. And so the hamlet, which followed the sayings of its richest landover, Servily, and whose families all hoped to secure the riches of Alois in some future times for their sons, took the hint to give grave looks and cold words to old Jehan Das' grandson. No one said anything to him openly, that all the village agreed together to humour the miller's prejudice, and at the cottages and farms where Nello and Patrice called every morning for the milk for Antwerp. Downcast glances and brief phrases replaced to them the broad smiles and cheerful greetings to which they had been always used. No one really credited the miller's absurd suspicions, nor the outrageous accusations born of them. But the people were all very poor and very ignorant, and the one rich man of the place had pronounced against him. Nello, in his innocence and his friendlessness, had no strength to stem the popular tide. "'Thou art very cruel to the lad,' the miller's wife dared to say, weeping to her lord. "'Sure, he is an innocent lad and a faithful, and would never dream of any such wickedness, however sore his heart might be.' 
but baz cogez being an obstinate man having once said a thing held to it doggedly though in his innermost soul he knew well the injustice that he was committing meanwhile nello endured the injury done against him with a certain proud patience that disdained to complain he only gave way a little when he was quite alone with old patrash besides he thought if it should win they will be sorry then perhaps still to a boy not quite sixteen and who had dwelt in one little world all his short life and in his childhood had been caressed and applauded on all sides it was a hard trial to have the whole of that little world turn against him for naught especially hard in that bleak snow-bound famine-stricken winter-time when the only light and warmth there could be found abode beside the village hearths and in the kindly greetings of neighbours in the winter-time all drew nearer to each other all to all except to nello and patrice with whom none now would have anything to do and who were left to fare as they might with the old paralysed bedridden man in the little cabin whose fire was often low and whose board was often without bread for there was a buyer from antwerp who had taken to drive his mule in of the day for the milk of the various dairies and there were only three or four of the people who had refused his terms of purchase and remained faithful to the little green cart so that the burden which patrice drew had become very light and the centime pieces in nello's pouch had become alas very small likewise the dog would stop as usual at all the familiar gates which were now closed to him and look up at them with wistful mute appeal and it cost the neighbours a pang to shut their doors and their hearts and let patrash draw his cart on again empty nevertheless they did it for they desired to please bas cogez end of section four recording by r w raptor